a little more of uh, some, you know, somebody that's running that mutual fund can pick stocks um, a little more, I guess you can say, um, basically the goal. Welcome back to Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Crater. Today, we're sitting down with Jeremy from Financial Education. This dude was on the show for episode 71. We're having him back on the show today to talk about the stock market and how to get started investing in the stock market if you are a beginner, okay? Because a lot of you guys are messaging me. You're like, man, I got some money in the bank. I want to invest it. I want to start making some money. I don't know how to do it. So I, I had the guy on who, who comes to mind first whenever I think of investing. Um, this dude is absolutely killing it. He has a, a track record of over a decade of investing and he's only 29 years old. So this dude has been in the game for a while. He's had a lot of ups, a lot of downs. And through his story that you guys have heard in episode 71, um, you'll know that, that he lost hundreds, over $100,000 in the stock market at one point. So he's learned some very costly lessons and those lessons are what he's sharing with you guys today. And we're really building a foundation from the ground up. Okay, so if you come into this episode, you don't know what a stock is, you don't know what the stock market is, this is the episode for you. If you come in and you have a basic understanding but you don't really know that the real strategies that you can implement to start really seeing some returns, this is the episode for you as well because we start Start off basic, we get more advanced as the show goes on. We give you guys different strategies, different avenues that you can take in order to invest. Um, whether you want to take more risk, less risk, however you want to structure your investing, we're giving you guys the tools and the resources and the knowledge that you need to do so effectively and to make confident financial decisions. Okay, that is the, the, the purpose of this episode. Okay, because a lot of you guys, you come to me and you're like, man, I want to start investing, but I just feel like I don't have all the information that I need. And by the end of this hour long podcast episode, you are going to have the information you need to start making those confident financial decisions and being able to move forward knowing that you do in fact know enough to make good decisions for yourself and to be in charge and to take charge of your financial situation. So without further ado, we're going to welcome Jeremy from Financial Education back on to the podcast or wherever you guys are listening to the show from today, um, whether you are going to the gym, whether you are walking to class, I want you guys to sit back, relax, plug in, and enjoy this episode of Young Smart Money. Jeremy, welcome to Young Smart Money, or rather welcome back to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Apple. Thanks again for having me. I'm looking so forward to this. So Absolutely, man. It's my pleasure. And for those of you guys that aren't familiar, we actually had Jeremy on the show, episode number 71 of the podcast. So definitely go back and check that out if you haven't heard that one yet. But Jeremy, for the listeners who need a little refresher on who you are, give us a quick 60-second spiel on what you're up to right now. Well, I'm pretty much known for being like a stock market investor. I have some really big YouTube channels. One's called Financial Education. The other one's called Financial Education 2. They're very <laughs> focused on what's going on in the business community and what's going on in the stock market. Um, I try to give away as much information as possible as far as stock market investing. I focus more on individual stock picking, but I'm sure today we'll also talk about index funds because individual stock picking is not for everybody out there. So it's for a certain sure. segment of the population. And um, that's kind of what I do. That's, that's basically it. Awesome. I love it. And, and for this episode, because in the first one, episode 71, um, we went very, we went in depth on Jeremy's background, how he started these YouTube channels and how he's making significant income online. And in this episode, what we're going to focus more on is like tactical investing stuff, because that's stuff that I get a lot of questions on from you younger listeners, um, but that I haven't really put together a very comprehensive piece of content on. So I'm hoping that this podcast can really serve as that like one-stop shop for like, here's what you need to know to get that ground level basic understanding of the stock market and how you can start to invest with confidence. So Jeremy, you feeling ready for it? I'm ready. I'm ready to give up everything, man. Give <laughs> Let's it all do it, man. Right 
<laughs> no holds barred. There we yeah. go. All right. So first thing I want to ask you, like very ground level, because we have some listeners who ask me this question pretty regularly. Like, what is a stock? Okay, give us like literally what is a stock? A stock is essentially you buy a stock. It's a, it's, it represents ownership in an underlying corporation. So if you buy one share, it's called one share of Apple, you know, mm-hmm. which is Apple stock, you're essentially buying a piece of ownership in Apple Corporation, okay? Now, it's a very, very small piece of ownership because obviously a company like Apple's massive. So if you buy one share of Apple, like you are like a 0.00001% owner, but you are literally part owner of that company. You get, you have voting rights. You can vote for, uh, you know, the board of directors who then in turn, you know, choose executives and things like that. So you're essentially literally becoming part owner of a business when you buy a stock. Amazing. And, and yeah, that's, that's a great, that's a great way to lay that out. Now, as far as like the stock market goes, cause some people are like, okay, I get what a stock is, but like the stock market now I'm confused. Yeah. So in the stock market is basically just this exchange where all these stocks are traded. So, you know, you have Apple and Google and Facebook and all these different stocks and they're going to trade each day. Well, not every single day, but Monday through Friday, they're going to trade. People are going to be selling stocks. People are going to be buying stocks, you know, and, and just everybody's, it's just kind of like, an open marketplace, you know, think about it. If you go to like, um, I'm thinking like a a market in general, right. Or a food store, there's all these different things you can buy. Um, and the the stock market is is no different. There's all these different things you can buy or sell every single day, Monday through Friday. So. Awesome. So, so we have all of these stocks, all these different like shares, literally like pieces of companies and people are buying and selling these things. Why? Like, why are people buying and selling these things every single day? Like what's, what's the point? Well, you have so many different people in the market with so many different agendas. So you have the, the people that are trading stocks that uh, a trader and an investor are different. Let me just explain that real sure. quick. Um, a trader is someone that's trying to get in and out of positions all the time. They're trying to make maybe a few pennies on a stock or something like that. They're just trying to get in and out. An investor is someone who's really more focusing on the long term, hmm. but still you have all these different individuals constantly buying and selling stocks because even as an investor, there can become different times when I say I need to sell my shares. Maybe they became overvalued. Maybe I need that money for something else. Maybe I want to put that money in another stock or something like that. So there are many different various factors. And when you have you know millions of people and all these different funds that are in the, in the stock market in general, there's so many different reasons why somebody would want to buy or sell a stock on a given day. Sure. And really like, so when people are buying and selling these things, like why, why are the prices moving? Like, why does the price of the stock go up one day down the next day? Like what dictates like the price of a stock and like how people are making money here? Yeah, I, I call it either there's more buying pressure or more selling pressure on a stock. Um, if there's more selling pressure on a stock, then you're going to see the stock go lower. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if there's more buying pressure on a stock, and you know, people willing to sell, then the stock has to move up because it's a market, right? It's no different than a house. If you had, you wouldn't put a for sale sign in front of your house and 10 people came to your house and all of a sudden want to, want to, you know, buy your house. That's good for you. And mm-hmm. the price is probably going to go up and up and up and everybody's going to be having to bid more. But if obviously, you know, there's like one person there uh, to buy your house and you need to sell it, you know, it, the price is going to go down. So for sure. So we're talking like supply and demand here. If there's 10 people that want to buy one share of stock, that one share of stock is going to be more valuable because you've got all of these people willing to give you money for it. A hundred percent. Yep. Yep. That's so, exactly supply and demand. For sure. So like, what are some of the factors that dictate that supply and demand? Like what are some of the things that would make people like more willing to buy a certain stock or make the demand on a stock go up and then, and then the price goes up? 
So many different various factors. One of the biggest that not a lot of people think of is, is who's buying the stock. You know, if, it's, if there's a big investment fund that wants to make that stock a big investment, um, that's going to put a lot of buying pressure on the stock and the shares are probably going to go up because it's just going to have a really big buyer in the market. You know, other various factors could be in earnings. So maybe a company reports really good earnings, then, you know, a lot of folks are going to want to go ahead and buy that stock. They're like, oh my gosh, this is now the hot stock. You're going to have even trader money maybe start coming in that stock. So that's definitely one of the reasons, um, you know, as far as selling, it could be, you know, bad earnings came out or the market didn't like that, or, you know, there's just not excitement around the stock. If there's a lot of excitement around the stock, a lot of people are very bullish on it, um, which bullish, you know, just for the audience, bullish mm -hmm. means you're very positive on the stock. You think you're, it's going to go up more bearish, meaning you think a stock's going to go down. So, you know, there, there's so many different various factors. A lot can, de you know, be determined by what's going on in the macroeconomic environment. Are people really you know, uh, are people thinking that the economy is going to get a lot better? They think it's going to get worse. They think we're going to go into a recession. There's so many things. And sometimes stocks can get hit for no reason. Like literally, like you're like, why is this stock? It could just be, a you know, there's somebody that's a big seller in the market at a particular time. So there's so many factors that go into it, but those are, those are some of them. So For sure. So clearly a lot of moving pieces here. One thing that you mentioned really quick that I want to touch on in case our listeners weren't familiar with that is the idea of earnings. So you mentioned if they have good earnings, their shares might go up in value. If they have bad earnings, their shares might go down in value. What do you, what do you mean by earnings? Earnings. Uh, so every three months, a public company, they report like what they did for numbers that quarter. So think about it. If you had a small business, you had a lemonade stand um, over a three month span. What did you have for revenues? What did you have for profit? What's your balance sheet looking like? What are you excited for in the next quarter? What are you, uh, you know, disappointed in things like that? Um, so it's the same thing for a stock, you know, Coca-Cola Corporation. What, how many you know, <laughs> Coca-Colas did they sell in the last three months and all those sorts of things. So that's what we're talking about with earnings. And they're very important. That's what the market looks at sometimes more than anything. Are they beating what analysts have out there as far as numbers go? Um, so it can be one of the most, the biggest uh, determining factors on if a stock goes up or down, at least in the short term. Okay, perfect. So now we're looking at this market. We have these, all these shares of stock. We have a stock market that we've established and the prices are going up and down based on all these different factors that you just sort of outlined. Now, one thing that a lot of people ask me and when I'm trying to like help people get started investing, open a Roth IRA and just like really get, get their, their sort of ducks in a row, um, they see a stock price going down and they're, they're worried about that company. Like they don't want to invest in this investment that they see decreasing in value because they're worried that it's just gonna keep decreasing. So we touched on all these different factors. So when, when we do see um, the stock price going down, what, what do you think about in that scenario? Is that a scenario that you want to avoid? Is that a scenario that you want to pursue? Like, how do you think about that? I don't even think about that, to be honest. I don't mm. think in terms of, of oh this stock's going up I need to buy it or I need to sell it or this stock's going down I need to buy it or sell it the the there are kind of two main things you should be thinking about in the stock market in my personal opinion two things that should be focused on one is the valuation of the company meaning what's that company worth versus what their peers are trading at what's that company's potential to be worth in future years and just the business fundamentals how is that business doing are they profitable are they, do they are their revenues and profits increasing over time uh, how's their net income doing how's their balance sheet um, what's their management team doing so a lot of it should be focused on the fundamentals of a company 
as well as the valuation of a company. As far as you know, a stock's going up or down, it shouldn't really be in focus for an individual. They should be focused on the valuation of that company. A lot of people get tricked by that. They get too caught up in the stock price move. But as a uh, you know someone in business, and, and then you know you're looking at valuations. That's where that's what the key is. Um, you know, you kind of got to almost disregard whatever's going on in the stock price in the short term. Hmm. Um, it's not relevant to you as a fundamental investor. Uh, just because a stock went down a bunch doesn't mean it's a bad stock or good stock. It just means what happened there. Uh, what's going to dictate that is, is what valuations it at and what are the fundamentals of that business. So, so Jeremy, are you telling us that, that Amazon stock when it's selling over a thousand dollars, isn't any necessarily more valuable than, than some other kind of stock that's only trading like $5. Is that what you're telling us? Well, I mean, you know, that, that you know, essentially Amazon's a very valuable company, sure. but it doesn't mean that just because Amazon goes up a ton that, mm -hmm. oh, I need to jump on that bandwagon now because, you know, you could be you could be buying into a very overvalued company at that point in time. So, you know, it shouldn't really, you know, your decision making should not be influenced by what a stock price is doing. It's, it's mm. the most irrelevant thing, you know, Warren Buffett, he doesn't ever look at a stock price and say, gosh, I got to sell this stock or gosh, I got to buy this stock. It's all fundamentals and valuation. So. And that's, that's a thing that I find to be a huge hurdle for beginner investors is really disconnecting themselves from the stock price and the valuation. And can you touch a little bit more on like how you make that distinction and how do you like establish what a company is actually worth without depending on the stock price to do that? So there's a few different things. So we're getting a little technical now, but I mean, sure. there, there's what's called a, a price to earnings ratio, which is essentially, you know, a, you know, like the market cap versus a net income of a company. Net income is basically what the company has left over after all their expenses are taken out. Okay. Um, you know, in a given year, you take the market cap and you divide it out by the uh, net income and you're going to get what's called a P ratio. Could you define market cap for us real quick? Market capitalization is basically how much a company is worth. So in how you figure out market cap is you take the uh, share price and you times it out by how many shares outstanding there are for a stock. And you okay. get the market cap. And that's how much a company is actually worth. So, so if we say Apple is like a trillion dollar company, we're referring to the market cap there? Correct. Yep. And that means its valuation is a trillion dollars. Gotcha. Um, so uh, basically what I'm kind of looking at is if the market in general trades anywhere between a 17 and sometimes up, you know, up, maybe up to a 19 current PE. So this means based on what the company earned the last year. So right. I'm really looking for companies that are trading under that. Doesn't mean I'll only buy companies that are trading under that, but I also want companies that have growth. So I'm looking for like a combination of a company that I think is going to grow quite a bit in the future and a company that is undervalued, maybe trading at under the market or trading somewhere around where the market is trading at. But I think the growth is just substantially higher going for that company in future mm. years. And um, that creates a lot of opportunities because not all stocks are fairly valued. A lot of times stocks are undervalued. A lot of times stocks are overvalued. And so it's my job to kind of go search and find those ones that are undervalued. And when I get those opportunities, obviously take advantage of them. So. Okay. So basically what I'm hearing is you basically find the bargains. You find the stocks that in your, in your opinion are, are trading at below what you feel that they're worth based on um, future growth and then like how they're currently priced relative to how much earnings they're bringing in. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Like, let's, you know, I like to try to break everything down to like very simple stuff in yeah. the stock market because the stock market, the numbers are so big and everybody gets <laughs> 
um, a very simple thing. You know, there's people that like flip shoes, for instance. Sure. You know, they might see a great sale going on in the Nike store and like, man, I could sell, I could buy those shoes at the Nike store. They're on sale for 50 bucks and I can go ahead and sell them on eBay for 75. It's the same exact thing. I'm looking for that shoe deal, but in the stock market. Mm. And I want to go ahead and own that. Now, I'm not going to probably flip it in, in a day or a couple of days yeah. like I would flip in sneakers. But uh, I want to take advantage of that opportunity because I'm like, why is it, you know, it could be very silly why a stock's trading so undervalued at a particular time based upon their future growth. Sure. So as far as future growth goes, what are the things that you're sort of looking at? We could go high level, we could go tactical, but like, how do you think about like looking at how, how much potential a company has for growth? Once you've found something that you feel is like undervalued, how do you determine like, okay, is this going to grow in the near future? So the, the biggest key right off the bat that I think a lot of people miss is what are the business fundamentals? Um, and do you understand the business fundamentals? Not all companies can be understood by everybody, including myself. I've been in the stock market for over 10 years and there's certain stocks and I'm like, ah, man, I, I don't know what differentiates them versus another company. What makes this company so special? How are they going to grow in the future? How big are the markets they're going after? So the first thing you have to do is you have to stay inside your circle of confidence and understand a stock. If you can, you know, read a 10K, which is an annual report, which you can get off a company's investor relations page. Like you can Google any company out there. You can like Google Coca-Cola uh, investor relations page. They have all their, their documents on there. 10K, 10Q, a 10Q is looking at quarterly uh, reports. A 10K is looking at the yearly, what's going on with that business. And uh, conference calls, which is done, you know, every quarter at, when earnings are done. You're like reading those things, listening to those things, and you don't understand the company, you're never going to be able to understand if that company's going to be able to grow in the future or not. It's just, you know, you, you're just not at that point where you can understand. So being, hopefully you can get to the place where you find some companies you do understand. Then you can kind of start looking at the market, uh, what that company's past performance has been, you know, have they been growing in the past years? Um, what's management saying? Do they expect to grow in the future? Why do they expect to go out, grow in the future? Though these type of things are talked about on conference calls and investor presentations and things like that all the time. Once again, on the investor relations page of companies. So once you kind of figure out that, then you can start kind of formulating in your head, like, okay, I can see where some growth is for this company. I can see they're they're going after this untapped market. Oh, I can see why they're going to take some market share from a competitor. Or oh, they're going after this next big opportunity. Now I can see why this company is going to grow. Um, but the, the the most key thing is understanding that business because if you don't you don't really get the business, which you're not going to get every business, especially as a beginner in the stock market, that makes it even harder. Um, that's why I kind of suggest most folks, if you're picking individual stocks and you want to go that route, start with the really big companies like the Dow 30, which is like the 30 biggest stocks out there. Um, because that's going to be where you're going to probably understand most companies like Apple corporation. Like everybody pretty much understands Apple. You know, it doesn't mm -hmm. take a rocket scientist. Like even if you don't, even if you've never read up on Apple, like you know what they do, they sell iPhones and services and things like that. Right. Coca-Cola, like everybody knows what Coca-Cola does. Um, but that's the biggest key. You've got to understand the business. Then you start watching all those things and then learning the industry they're in, what they're going after. And then you can start formulating your head. Oh yeah. They're going to be able to grow 10% possibly next year or whatever. So, and, and I bet a lot of that. So right off the bat, I mean, there was a lot of stuff there and that could have intimidated a lot of our listeners. Yeah. Like, Oh my <laughs> gosh, I have to do all these different things. I have to learn literally <laughs> everything about this company. I have to know like all the names of all the people who run it and what they're doing <laughs> and, and what their dog's name is and like all these yeah. different crazy things. So first of all, I just want to say like, is this like, 
is there an easier way basically? Like, is there a way to invest without having to know all this? Cause I mean, for, for some people, yes, like they want to do what you're doing. They want to spend some serious time and energy and resources learning about this stuff because it's, it's genuinely interesting to them. But some people just like have some extra money in their bank account. They've been working some summer jobs. They like have a savings account that they want to start putting to work. So we'll come back to the people who like really want to like dive into this. But for those of them that are like, man, this sounds crazy intimidating. Um, what, what would you say to that person right now? Um, well, there's kind of like two ways in my opinion, you can invest in the stock market. One is individual stocks, which I do, which is not cut out for everybody because not everybody wants to put in that type of work. Yeah. By the way, the reason you really pick individual stocks is because you want to outperform the stock market. Okay. Um, you want to give your yourself a chance to outperform the stock market, meaning you can get better returns, meaning you can build more wealth over time. So let's say the stock market on average goes up 8% per year. Okay. Well, if you're individual stock picking, you're going to want to get 12%, 15%, 20% a year or some, you know, aim for something like that. So hopefully you outperform the stock market in general because you're picking better stocks rather than just the stock market in general. You're picking the best stocks. Um, and so that's kind of the goal there. I think it's very important for people to understand like, well, why would you even pick individual stocks? Because you're trying to outperform the market. And imagine you're in your 20s, you outperform the market almost every year and you do that consistently for a decade or two. All of a sudden you're in your 30s and 40s and the amount of wealth you can have um, in your 30s and 40s, it's going to be substantially more than if you just were investing in all stocks, let's put it that way. But if you don't want to do, you know, all the, the, the nitty gritty there, you don't want to, you know, do all the research, that's fine. You can go ahead and you can buy what's called an index fund. And, um, you know, like Fidelity Investments has a phenomenal index fund that tracks the S&P 500. I think it's called Fidelity Spartan Index Fund. You can, you know, the listeners, you guys can definitely Google it. Um, it basically just kind of tracked the, the S&P 500. Vanguard's got a really good product. And what this does is it essentially allows you to, to make money from the stock market over time and continue to build your wealth as the stock market continues to go up. But you really don't have to do any work behind it. Hmm. What, what basically it does is it's just going to go, your money's just basically going to go up or down as much as the S&P 500 goes up or down over time. Can you define the S&P 500 really quick for our yeah. listeners? That's the 500 like biggest stocks really in the stock market um, is the S&P 500 American companies. So if American business is doing good over time, you know, uh, the, the, your money's going to increase over time. Like you could look at it, you know, anybody, any listener can pull up a, a chart of the S&P 500 right now. And you're going to see that, you know, it's gone up over time and, you know, substantial amounts, you know, depending on different times and whatnot. So that allows people to make money from stocks without having to worry about fully researching these stocks completely, which I know not everybody wants to do. So Sure. So as far as index funds go, um, could you could you sort of break those down a little bit further? Because right now what I'm hearing is like it allows you to invest in, in all these different companies, sort of like spreading your risks. You don't have to put all your eggs in one basket as you would with like an individual stock. You don't have to do as much research. You just say, I think American businesses are going to do well over the next like X number of years. So then you can just put your money there. But like how how does it work? Like what what are you investing into? So essentially an index fund is just meant to track pretty much like how much the stock market, the, the S&P 500 is to say specifically, how much that goes up or down. So you put money in there and then the person that runs that, that index fund, you know, distributes the money around hmm. and you can basically just continue to plow money in there. So if you got a few hundred bucks a month or a few thousand dollars a month, you can just put that over into the index fund. You know, like I said, there's many different ones out there. 
Um, I suggest the listeners, if you're interested in finding an index fund, uh, type in best index fund. Uh, there should be several articles written by good people that will show you this is a five-year return for this index fund. This is a six-year return, things like that. Um, and then basically, all, that's all you do. You just invest. You don't have to do any work. You just find the one that you want to pick. You go ahead and just continue to put money in there. Um, you know, like I said, Fidelity has a really good one. Vanguard has a very good one. The money's invested for you in the S&P 500, and your money's going to most, you know, pretty much just track whatever the S&P 500 does. So if the S&P 500 um, doubles, let's say over the next seven years, your money's going to double. Um, yep. At the same time, if the stock market goes down because we had a recession, you will lose. Uh, money in the short term, but it's not really money lost. It's more like just value lost in the short term. And mm -hmm. that's the goal. That's the goal. And that's what it, it basically does is just spreading your money around the 500 biggest companies. And you're going to pretty much track whatever the, the S&P 500 is doing. So. so as far as index funds go and like sort of selecting one, you mentioned like looking at like the past year's returns. Um, is that the only thing you would look at or like what are some other metrics our listeners should be should be taking into account when they're looking at, at index funds to invest in? Yeah, I mean, I really like to look at the, the past three years and five years as far as their returns go. Just make sure they're at least keeping up with the market or something close to what the S&P 500 has done over the last three or five years. Um, and then I like to go with a well-established company that I know. Um, that's why I love Vanguard. That's why I love Fidelity. Uh, you know, Fidelity, I use them as my brokerage for picking individual stocks. Um, I really love that company. So I trust them with my money. It's not just, you know, it's who you trust with your money as well, which most of those companies you're going to buy an index fund are very big, well-established. Sure. That, that, you know, have protections and insurance and all those sorts of things. So. So if our listeners um, have, have listened to Dave Ramsey at all, I'm sure they've heard of mutual funds. And can you sort of break down the difference between like a mutual fund and an index fund? Because I'm sure some people heard index fund, they thought mutual fund, and they don't really know if there is a difference. Um, so, so could you break that down for us, like the difference between a mutual and an index fund? A mutual fund can be a little more of uh, some, you know, somebody that's running that mutual fund can pick stocks um, a little more, I guess you can say, um, basically the goal is different. A mutual fund, they might actually be trying to outperform the market. Now, it doesn't mean they're going to outperform the market. They might underperform the market. They might invest in bad stocks. But with an index fund, there's no thought of, oh, let's try to outperform the market. It's like, we're just going to try to basically track the market. S&P 500 goes up 8%. We want this to go up 8%. A mutual fund, uh, the mutual fund manager might be looking at, let's try to outperform you know, over the next three years or five years or something like that. So they might, you know, concentrate their positions more in different stocks and things like that. So it's different goals. And so me, I, I lean more toward if you if you're not going to do the work, you know, necessary for investing, I lean personally, personally toward index funds. I think that's really the place to go. You're just going to track the markets. Yeah, you're never going to get amazing returns. But if you want to try to get amazing returns and you can individually pick stocks yourself. Um, so that's personally where I lean. Uh, you know, mutual funds are fine as well. There's no nothing wrong with that. It's just the goals are different with a mutual fund and, uh, you know, obviously an index fund. Hmm. Okay, okay, perfect. So what I'm getting so far is you have a couple, you have your options. You could either invest in individual stocks, like individual pieces of companies, do the research and figure out whether you think a company is undervalued and has potential for growth. And if you think it does, you could invest in that. Or if you wanted to, to spend less time, energy, resources, sort of researching stuff, you could invest into index funds, which are sort of like these, these clumps of, of a lot of stocks that are going to just track the market instead of trying to outperform it. Yep. 
Yep, that's exactly right. Yep, so you really have these all these different options for investing in the stock market. And it really just depends on what your goals are there. Um, you know, it depends on what your goals are and what you really want to go after. You know, individual stocks is work and it is probably more stressful, um, but you're really trying to outperform the markets. Index funds, I shouldn't say it's no stress, but it's almost no stress. Like you just, your money's just going to go wherever the S&P 500 goes. Mutual fund managers, um, you know, and buying into a mutual fund, it's, um, you know, then you have to research like what mutual funds the best and things like that. It gets a little more complicated than once again, that's why I'm not the biggest fan of that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then hedge funds, you know, is, is another one people probably heard of, but hedge funds deal more worth with like very high net worth individuals for the most part. Um, so that's a whole different thing, you know, that really, really we don't even really need to touch on today, but that's <laughs> for sure. Kind of, that's kind of the ways you can go about it in the stock market. And there are other activities you can do in the stock market, like options, which is way complicated. And I don't suggest <laughs> with this podcast because it's just, that's like super, super high level stuff sure. um, and very, very risky. Well, I mean, options can be ways to hedge positions and risk, but yeah. So yeah, you definitely have your options as far as benefiting from the stock market. For sure. So one thing that you mentioned a couple times now is the idea of outperforming the market and that's sort of like the goal with individual stock investing. So could you sort of break down that concept for our listeners? Like, first of all, like, what do you mean when you say outperform the market? Yeah, outperforming the market. So let's say, let's say the stock market goes up 8% in uh, this year, you know, in 2019. Like overall stock prices yeah. increased on average by 8%? Uh, correct. Yeah. Let's say the S&P 500 is 8% more expensive, uh, you know, January 1st of 2020 than it was January 1st, 2019. Perfect. Okay. So the market went up 8%. So your goal, especially if you're picking individual stocks is to have, for sure have done better than 8%. Doesn't mean you're always do better than that, but generally that's what you're going to want to aim for. Cause why is it, is it worth putting in all that work and the stress if you're not going to help? From the market exactly um, you could have just on so index funds yeah but once again i don't want to get the listeners too caught up in you know short-term results and sure like that. sure sure if you're in your first year or two in investing and you don't outperform the market like it doesn't mean you're a bad investor <laughs> and you can't do it in the future it just means you're still in the learning stage you yeah. probably get better but that's what we're talking about with uh, outperform the market underperform the market would be like you do worse in the stock market so let's say that the, the stock market goes up eight percent let's say you only get five percent return or a negative return then you underperform the market in that particular year. So then that means next year you hopefully should really kill it in the market and really outperform in a big way. Okay, perfect. So, and, and then like the main, the main strategy for you as far as outperforming the market goes is really like find these undervalued companies that, that have potential for growth and then just invest into those individually. Correct. hundred percent. Yep. I'm looking for the most undervalued companies um, and then I'll wait for their bullish theses to play out. And hopefully that plays out and then we sell it for a big return, you know, anywhere from two years to, you know, seven years down the road. But even sometimes a stock can move very huge in the short term. Sometimes I might sell in the short term and go put that money in something else that I feel like might be, you know, give us even a better return in the future. So Sure. So realistically, I know this isn't an easy question to answer, but realistically, like how how difficult do you feel it is to outperform the market? Because I'm sure we have listeners here who are like, well, I'm thinking I might want to go the individual stock route, but I'm not sure how much that's going to take for me, how realistic it even is to like outperform the market to begin with. So how, how do you sort of think about that? So the way I think about that is first, 
if you're trying to grade yourself overall, I would say try to look at like a five-year span, which is going to be hard because people, you know, a lot of people listening won't even have five years of experience and yeah. five years seems like forever. <laughs> but you kind of want to look at it in like five-year spans, maybe even 10-year spans, like how you do versus the market. And I would say it's, it's certainly not easy. If you think it's, it's going to be easy to outperform the market on most years, it's not. Okay, It is certainly a challenge. However, I will say if you're putting in a lot of work and you're staying disciplined, discipline's the most important thing. We haven't really touched on that. Yeah. There are many things that can distract you in the stock market um, and make you go undisciplined. And I can tell you my worst years, I got undisciplined with stocks. Um, my very worst years where I well underperformed the market, it was because I got undisciplined. It wasn't because like my investment, you know, uh, my investment philosophy doesn't work anymore or something like that. It was because I made a really bad decision and I got undisciplined. So if you can stay disciplined and you put in the work ethic, there's a good chance you can outperform the market over time and you have like control over your emotions and you don't panic if the market's going down at a particular time, but it's not easy. I'll leave it like that. It's not easy. It's no different than saying, um, you know, you want to become a good three point shooter. Can you become a good three-point shooter? Sure, in basketball, but it's not easy. It's going to take a lot of practice, and you're going to have to, you know, work at it for a long time to become consistent. So, for sure. So you mentioned discipline and how you had a run-in with with lacking that discipline. From that from that event, and and just from your investing in general, do you have any advice for the young listener who wants to get started investing and wants to develop that discipline, wants to sort of disconnect? their emotions from their investing, which I think is a really important thing to do, especially starting off. Do you have any advice for how they can begin to do that? Yeah. So a, a few things, you know, try not to ever get, and it's hard is, you know, easier said than done, but try sure. not to ever get greedy. Um, you know, the, if I look at my worst year I ever had in the stock market, it was 2015. And this was because of greed. Really. I started, started a margin account. I started investing money that wasn't even mine, started taking out debt to invest because the greed got me and I had such great returns for so many years in a row that I was like, Oh, now I can do even better. And Warren Buffett, you know, Kirk, you know, has always said, don't mess around with margin. You shouldn't be messing around with it. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how good you are. Shouldn't be messing around with it. So I got done disciplined because of greed. Greed mm -hmm. will usually get a lot of people caught up. And then usually it's when you have a lot of success. Um, you just get caught up in, you know, now I can make even more money and now I can take it to the next level and, and things like that. And it's, it's, it's human nature, but you have to check that. You have to check that and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is, we're, we're going off the rails. We need to stay disciplined with that. So that's the first thing. But a lot of folks, what they have issues with is not greed. And it's not because they had so much success. A lot of people um, have a lot of trouble controlling their emotions when it comes to short-term stock price moves to the downside. Mm. That's, that's what most folks uh, struggle with me. I don't, it doesn't bother me at all, but a lot of people, if all of a sudden they put $10,000 into a stock and now that's worth 7,000 or 8,000, they, they're freaking out. They're like, Oh my gosh, is this going to go to zero? If I lost two or $3,000 I'm down on that position. Oh my goodness. I need to sell. Oh, and they sell at a really, really bad price a lot of time. And if they did their full research into that company, and they, they did all the fundamentals necessary, then this should be a situation where they're in a great stock. It probably just went down in the short term. Great stocks can go down in the short term. It happens all the time. So in my opinion, that's where most people fail with discipline is they sell at really bad prices because they get really, really scared. 
Um, mm. with another segment of the population like myself that had a lot of success and it's greed. So you have to check both those things, but those are the two biggest that will get people caught off guard in the stock market by far greed and then scared. It's one of the two. So, and they're, they're really on the polar opposites, which is interesting. You have, you know, fear over here and then you have greed over here. They're complete polar opposites, but they're the two things that, um, cost people a lot of money. For sure. And with a lot of people that I see just getting started in investing, they're, they're, they're refreshing their like investment accounts, like every like 10 minutes being like, Oh, it went up. Oh, it went down. Like it's, it's so ridiculous because like, I mean, it depends on what your goals are. Obviously like what your time horizon is, but for most people, your time horizon is not 10 minutes. And like the, the, the price fluctuations in a 10 minute span are not going to, to impact your long-term results at all. Um, so I think that's one really important thing that you brought up is like, you, you gotta, you gotta like distance yourself from like those, those short term price fluctuations. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I used to look at my stock tracker app all the time and be like, <laughs> well, what were the stock prices at today? And oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, I, for instance, I looked once, um, before we, we start it and I'll look once later today when the market's already closed and that's good for me. Like, I just want to see where things kind of shook out. But I used to be one of those as well. That would be like <laughs> five minutes. What would happen? And it's just <laughs> You know, if you're investing in these companies for years to come, if the stock price goes up a few pennies or, or whatever today or tomorrow, like does it really <laughs> matter? It doesn't. So, so yeah. as far as like price declines go, okay, talk to a listener now. Say they're in a situation where, like you said, they they've invested ten thousand dollars in a in an individual stock. It dropped down to like seven or eight thousand dollars. What are some of the things that you personally are thinking about if you're in a scenario like that? Um, like what are, what are the things that you're looking at to determine like what you should be doing? Um, and how should a listener go about evaluating a scenario like that? Um, as far as what actions they should be taking, if any. So a few different things, um, come to mind. One is if you bought into the stock, uh, let's say the stock is $10 a share. You believe mm-hmm. in it so much. You believe it's undervalued. You've researched the company fully. It drops to $8. And if you like the company just as much, it makes sense to buy more shares because you're getting them for a far cheaper price. Now, with that being said, it's also key you stay di- you know, diversified. You don't want to have, all, you know, let's say if one stock's falling a ton, you don't want to have all your money, put all your money in this one stock or, or your, your two biggest stocks or something like that. That's a, usually a bad decision as well because you're getting under, under diversified. But if you like this, this stock that you bought at you know, $10, if it goes down to eight or seven, like, like it usually makes sense to buy some more shares. It's so silly that you love this company you're like oh now it's at eight now i don't want to buy it like <laughs> it's ridiculous it's completely ridiculous um but that's how a lot of people think i think oh because it went down to eight dollars now it's not a good stock or something like that it has nothing to do with you the, the you know it has nothing to do with the fundamentals underlying that company that should be what determines your your decision to mm, let me sell that stock or mm, let me buy some more shares so. For sure. And bouncing back to your flipping shoes example, just to give some more like context to our listeners who, who might not be tracking right now, like say you say these shoes were on sale for $50. Okay. And you were going to buy them at $50. This is what I'm hearing from you. At least you buy the shoes for $50. You knew you could sell them for like 75. Okay. So you're buying as many shoes as you can at 50, selling them for 75. Like if they went down even further to like $40, like, would you be like, I'm not going to buy these shoes anymore because I'm worried about them even though you could still sell them for 75. Like that's, that's sort of what I think about in a scenario like that. It's like the price is going lower. If you still believe it has the same internal value, like why would you not keep buying it? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I can tell you my best stocks I've ever had were all positions I, I averaged down on. So meaning mm-hmm. I bought in the shares 
And in the short term, that stock price went down more and I bought more shares. All my biggest gains ever have come from those type of situations because then I got to build a bigger and bigger and bigger position and buy more and more shares at much cheaper prices than when I initially thought it was already undervalued. So I can tell you all my biggest gains have been those type of scenarios, every single one of them. Um, so if you're not taking advantage of buying the dip, as we like to say, then um, you know, you're just missing out on a lot of money to be made over time. But short term, it can be painful. Like I understand, like it's it's painful to see your account go down and down and down, and like the stock just gets out of favor with Wall Street and everybody's selling it off. I can understand, like it's painful to log in and you're like, dang, I'm down thirty percent on this position. But if you still have that company and it's going to do great long term, like it is probably a deal and a half. Then at that point, for sure. So when you say averaging down, basically what what I what I'm hearing from that is like you're buying more as the price goes down, so that your average price that you're paying per share comes down. Yep, a hundred percent. Yep, that's hundred percent correct. Yep. Perfect. So as far as like how how do you sort of think about um, when a stock price is going down? and you are buying more of it, how do you think about like how much of your money that you're investing into, into a certain stock? Like for example, say we have a listener who's like, I wanna get started investing, I have $5,000 in a savings account to my name, um, should I invest all of that? Should I not invest all of that? Like how do you think about how, how much of your money to actually be investing? I think you gotta start with what, you feel comfortable with mm -hmm. everybody it's different like let's say you have five thousand dollars in a savings account and you're like you know what i want to start this individual stock picking so you go ahead and you start researching companies you find a stock or two you really like you think you're going to do great on them long term <clears throat> you got to do what you feel comfortable with um if that's 500 bucks the first time then it's 500 bucks if it's a thousand bucks then it's a thousand bucks um, I always suggest people start, especially if you're individual stock picking, start when you don't have much money. Start when you got a few hundred bucks or a few thousand bucks um, <clears throat> because you have time on your side at, at that point. And the, the ones I worry about the most are some folks that might be in their 40s or 50s or 60s and, and then they just finally start individual stock picking and they might already have substantial amounts of money saved away, you know, that's for their retirement or whatever. And then all of a sudden they start individual stock picking. Those are the ones I worry about the most because you have a lot of, you know, if you make a big mistake at 55, like, man, that's the bad time to make a big mistake. Yeah. You make a mistake like I did at 25, you have, a, you have a long time to recover and, you know, get back everything you, you've lost and some. Um, so I think it's most important that people start young and do what they feel comfortable with. If that's investing all their money, then they feel comfortable with that do it. Um, if it's not, and you just feel like a portion should go toward uh, individual stocks, then do it. It's, it's really, you know, uh, each person is different. So me, I can tell you, I've had anywhere from 80 to like 85% to like 98% of my wealth in stocks um, for almost my entire adult life since like basically 19 or 20 years old. And still to this day, like, like probably 85% of my money is tied up in stocks. Um, but that's me and that's what, you know, I, I have a confidence level. I've been doing this for a long time for somebody else. If they had 85% of their wealth tied up in, in stocks, they might, it might not be the thing for them. So it's, it's own decision you have to make. Hmm. And is there like a minimum amount that you think is required to like get started investing or like for a listener out there who's got like 50 bucks to their name, do you think they could get started in some way with this? Yeah, nowadays, since Robinhood, the Robinhood app, 
it allows you to basically uh, invest and not have to pay commissions. So when I started investing, it was, it was another $20 commission you had to pay every time you bought shares and sold shares. So if you had a smaller amount of money, it was pretty much stupid to invest. Yeah. Um, but with Robinhood app now, especially for all the U.S. listeners, it's phenomenal. You don't even have to pay commission. So if you invest 50 bucks and then you buy some stock, awesome. You don't even have to pay commission on that. You get $50 worth of stock or whatnot. So nowadays it's completely changed and uh, there's no amount of money I look at anymore. Like it's not enough money. Uh, it's better to start with 50 bucks or, or a few hundred bucks than to start with, you know, a hundred thousand. Let's put it that way. For sure. So now we've been talking about sort of the, the average return of the market being somewhere in the 8% range. Um, talk to talk to us now about the idea of, of risk, because clearly whenever you do make an investment, there is risk involved. And I don't think we've touched um, very heavily on the idea of the risk that is involved when you do invest into stocks. So either through your, some of your own experiences or just like ideas that you or philosophies that you sort of live by, how do you think about the risk that is involved when you do invest into stocks, um, whether that be index funds or individual stocks? Well, that's a good point. You know, I think... Yeah, you know, I'll go even off of stocks. Anything yeah. that's an investment, anything that's an investment, there's risk reward, and that should always be thought about. Like, what's my potential risk going into this? What's my potential reward that can come out of this? And I'm trying to find situations where the risk is either as the least as possible and the reward is as much as possible. Um, so if I think about like some of my biggest positions in my portfolio, those stocks usually have unbelievable balance sheets. So even if their businesses had trouble, they could, they would like, they could like employ their employees for years to come in the future, even if they had no like earnings. So in my biggest, biggest positions, I'm thinking about, I want companies that don't have as much risk, have unbelievable balance sheets, are very profitable, have great business models. And I'm thinking also do have reward potential on the other side. If I think about some other little speculative companies I might hold every once in a while that are smaller positions, you know, for instance, I talk a lot on my channel about Tesla stock, right? This is a position I have that's a speculative position because they're not consistently profitable. So if I'm thinking about Tesla, there is certainly a risk. The risk is the company goes bankrupt someday. I lose 100% of my money. So if I invest, you know, $50,000 in a stock and it goes to zero, which is pretty unrealistic, but it is possible, I lose 50,000. That sucks, obviously. But on the flip side with a stock like that, there's massive reward potential for me to take that 50,000 and have it go into 100 or 150 or 200,000 um, over the coming years. So there's massive potential reward on the other side. So it's worth the risk with a stock like that. But everything, whether we're talking stock market investing, whether we're talking real estate, it doesn't matter. It, always the thought should be risk reward in my opinion and, and you've got to really and, and as you get more experience doing it you'll get a better understanding of of like well what's my potential risk in this and what's my potential reward uh, initially for you know a lot of people listening their first year or two it's going to be really difficult to figure out that risk reward balance um later on down the road it's really easy it's no different than like um you know, I don't want to ramble on too much, but like poker, for instance, a lot of people can, you know, see the game of poker, right? And there's certain times where it's worth taking a risk because that next card, there's a high probability you're going to get the card you need, right? And then sometimes it's, you know, a beginner might say, oh, I should try to get that card, but there's like a 10% probability they're going to get that. They're going to bet. They're going to lose a ton of money because the 10% chance isn't going to happen. Mm. I think that's, that's, that's a really good point that you brought up as well. Like, 
always, always be mitigating your downside and maximizing your upside and looking for those opportunities where those two things are sort of mismatched. Like there, there's a, there's a very low downside and a very high upside um, is, is, is things that I'm always looking for in any investment that I make. Absolutely. Yep. hundred percent, hundred percent. So talk to us now. I mean, you mentioned that you have like 85% plus of your total wealth at inside of stocks at any given time. Um, talk to us about how you think about other investment vehicles, because clearly they're not a huge part of your portfolio, um, like, like real estate or, or crypto or bonds. Like why, why stocks? Like what is, what is the draw to stocks for you? And why has that been the area that you have focused so, so heavily on? So I would say, first off, it's hard to be good at a lot of things, right? Absolutely. Um, really difficult to be good at a lot of things. So that's one big factor. Other factor is, let's say bonds, for instance. Sure. Return is going to get on bonds extremely, extremely low. Um, so there's not much reward. So it doesn't really interest me too much. If we think about crypto, maybe potential big reward, but also big risk because a lot of the cryptocurrencies aren't really used by anybody as of right now. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, you're betting on hope that, you know, everybody's going to be using Bitcoin or Ethereum or Bitcoin cash in the future and things like that, which is a lot of hope. Uh, but there is potential big reward there. So that one doesn't really interest me. Real estate, a little bit, it interests me. But if I'm looking at real estate, I believe I can just outperform. If I, if I stuck all my money in real estate properties versus stocks, I believe I'll significantly outperform. So for me, it's difficult. It's really difficult for me to say, I'm going to, you know, take this 50,000 over here and put this into this other thing rather than stocks, because I just, you know, this is what I do. This is what I know. And there's almost always at least one stock, if not several stocks that are undervalued at a particular time that I say, I got to go ahead and buy these shares because three years from now, five years from now, these, these stocks are going to be, you know, massively valued more than what they are today. So for me, that's, that's the hard thing, you know? Mm. For sure, for sure. And like, yeah, once you've found like your core competency and like you've, you've really developed this skill, I mean, it makes sense for you to, to continue to develop it, continue to hone it and like take advantage of all this knowledge, all these skills that you've accumulated. Like once you have this, like it, it makes sense to leverage it. Yeah. And one last point I'll bring up is I am still young. Like I'm 29, I'll be turning 30 this year, um, which is relatively young. You know, some yeah. of your listeners might be even younger than me, but I'm like, that's still really young in the grand scheme of things. So Maybe as I get older, I'll diversify more to other asset classes, you know, once I'm in my 40s and 50s and 60s and things like that. But when you're young, you know, if you found something, you have a chance of getting great gains, you really got to just go for it because, uh, you know, time's on your side. Once again, as we spoke about earlier, if you make a mistake, it sucks, but you have a long time to recover from that. Um, so you really want to go after the big gains when you're young, you're in your 20s and 30s rather than in your 50s and 60s. 100%. All right, Jeremy, well, let's wrap this up for our listeners here. Um, I want to sort of tie a whole bow on everything that we've been dropping today, because you've, you've shared a lot of really amazing information. And I, I kind of just want to like wrap it back up. And basically, like, okay, so given all the stuff that we've talked about, like, what are what are the takeaways for our listeners? Okay, basically, I mean, we started off by talking about like, what stocks are what the stock market is, why people buy and sell stocks, like bullish and bearish pressures on stocks. But like, in the grand scheme of things, like what do you want people to walk away from this episode having learned? Like what do you want the young person to go out there and actually do with this information that you've given them? So uh, a few things. First is you can make money from stocks two ways. Individual stock picking, like I do, it's more work. It's certainly a lot of research. You gotta get good at it. Um, that's one way, or you can make money from index funds and just track an SP 500. So you have two ways of making money from the stock market over time. Mm -hmm. um, 
the other biggest thing I would say, you know, is start young. You know, it's very important to start young. People think, oh, I'm only 22. What do I need to invest for? I should be, you know, and I'm just saying, if you're not investing young in your 20s, you're just sticking yourself way behind the ball in this game. Like you want to start as young as possible um, because you're going to get so much more experience. And think about it. Everything's cumulative, right? Yep. So stuff you learn when you're 19 is going to be very beneficial when you're 29 or 39, right? Um, you know, mistakes I've made in the past or great decisions I made in the past. I learned from those and all during my twenties. Like I couldn't imagine if I was just starting to invest here at 29 versus when I started when I was 19. Uh, you know, it's all, we just missed a decade of experience. Yeah. Um, so starting young is so big. So those are, those are my opinion of the two biggest things. Like, like start young and then also, you know, figure out if you want to go index fund route um, or, or if you actually want to pick individual stocks, you want to say, I believe Apple's a good stock. I believe Google's a good stock. I believe, you know, uh, Goldman Sachs is a good stock or whatever. You know, you got to kind of figure out where, what route you want to go. For sure. And as far as starting young goes, again, like just the power of compound interest is something that like when I show to people for the first time, they just jaw hits the floor because they just like never realized how like beneficial or impactful it could be to start early. So I want to advise you guys, like if you haven't like messed around with a compound interest calculator, literally just Google one and like experiment with like, okay, if I start investing when I'm 20 versus when I'm 25 versus when I'm 30 versus 35, like just see the difference that that can make on your, your final result and, and, and your, your cumulative wealth. And it, it will blow your mind. Like it will literally it's it's ridiculous to just think about like even just a few years can really like impact a whole lot of things both in terms of knowledge and also in terms of your actual like compound interest yeah 100 percent. that was a great point yeah that's the other thing the power of compounding not just on knowledge but on the money yeah no, it's, it's, it's insane. It's insane. Let's just leave it like that. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So Jeremy, before we wrap this up, um, I want you to share with our listeners, uh, maybe one or two things that you wish you would have known going into investing. Like what are some of the things that now, I mean, you've had this experience of, of probably over a decade at this point, um, being 29 years old now, what are a couple things that you just, you, you wish you would have had as assets to you um, when you started off in this game? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, honestly, uh, I wish I just had the cumulative knowledge. Early <laughs> on. Like, when I, you know, when I wish I had a lot more money when I started, I mean, I was starting with a few hundred bucks and then I graduated to like a thousand bucks a month or whatever. But uh, when I first started, my goodness, the stock market, you know, the Dow was at 7,000, 8,000, but I had no money. Like I had hardly any money to invest. So it sucked. Um, I wish I had a lot more money, but I would just say, um, overall, just the understanding of how powerful greed can be and how you kind of got to, you know, stay away from greed because that's what cost me a lot of money in 2015. Um, you know, and so I would just say that like the power of greed, I would say that's the biggest thing. Um, I wish I understood how powerful that can be and, and you know, how you got to stay away from that. Um, and everything I've learned, I've kind of had to learn on my own because I haven't had like, I've never had like a mentor or somebody like teach me, um, you know, the ropes and whatnot. So I've just, you know, I learned basically I was self-taught. I've read books and I just adapted and I did it in the real world. And then, uh, you know, we are where we are today. But um, yeah, it would have been nice to have somebody that, 
to hold my hand that had a lot of experience, but I just, I didn't have anybody around me that did it, you know, no friends or family members that like did this type of stuff. Um, well, certainly no friends. I mean, friends at 19, 20, they want to go party. They don't want to <laughs> read up. Like I remember I would be reading, uh, you know, in college I was on the track team. I remember I'd be like reading annual reports and people would be like, dude, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> it's just, you know, so that, I would just leave it like that greed. I wish I understood that better. Mm, that's the truth. Now, Jeremy, again, I'm super grateful for you hopping back on for round two on the podcast. You dropped an amazing amount of value and, and, and this went a lot more uh, valuable than I even could have imagined as far as just like actionable, like how to get started investing and just giving people that, that ground level understanding that they need to make confident financial decisions. I'm extremely grateful. Where can our listeners go if they want to follow up with you, learn more from you, connect with you? Like where's the best place for them to go? For sure, the financial education channel, you just type that in YouTube, should be the first thing that comes up. Um, also on my second channel, I'm super active on there. I'm pretty much just as active. Um, so type that in YouTube, you'll find my channel, or, or you can uh, also follow me on Instagram. That's financial education Jeremy um, on Instagram. But those are two places I pretty much post at almost every day. Instagram and YouTube's the main platform. Awesome. I'll be sure to link up both of those in the show notes. And um, you guys, let me and Jeremy know if you would like to see round three, where we dive even deeper. We can talk about options. We can talk about all these different advanced investing techniques as well. If y'all are interested, let us know and we could make that happen. Jeremy, man, I just want to say super grateful for you and all the information that you shared today. Thanks, Apple. Thanks for having me, man. This has been fun. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Young Smart Money. If you want to support the show, you can do so in three different ways. You can subscribe, you can leave me five, and you can share this episode with a friend. To subscribe, all you got to do is click the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. To leave me five, all you got to do is scroll all the way down to the bottom of the podcast's page for Young Smart Money and click on the write a review button. And to share with a friend, all you got to do is screenshot yourself listening to this episode, post on your Instagram story, tag me, and I'll be sure to repost it in my Instagram story as well. I love giving you guys some attention who are listening to the show. Thanks for listening and I'll see you in the next one.